Hello and welcome to Birkbeck Voices. I'm Bryony Merritt. Today I'm talking to Julie Lovell, Professor in Modern Chinese History and Literature in Birkbeck's Department of History, Classics and Archaeology. Professor Lovell is here to talk to us about the topic of her new book, Maoism, A Global History, which will be published by Bodley Head on 14th of March 2019. Thank you for talking to us today. So can we start with a bit of a personal question? What was it that drew you to study modern China? I made the decision to switch as an undergrad from history to Chinese studies in 1995. Chinese still felt very unknown to me at that point, and I'd had zero exposure to Chinese language and culture before I made that decision at university. In the early 1990s, if an East Asian language were taught at a UK school, it seemed to be in Japanese, and that was rare enough. But it was as an undergraduate in history that I first studied a little about modern China. My mother also happened to put into my hands a book that was hugely influential in the UK through the 1990s in introducing modern China to general audiences, and that was Zhongchang's Wild Swans. I read it in a weekend and decided that I needed to know more about China, and the best way to go about it was to learn Chinese. Pretty much the next week, I asked my tutor how I could change subject. Now, between that decision and now, there have been a lot of choices and hard work, but getting that opportunity to study Chinese was the turning point. It transformed my life. Yeah, and reading Wild Swans in a weekend is an impressive feat in itself. Um, So, turning to the the topic of your latest book, can you um, just start by telling us a bit about who Mao was and what Maoism as a theory entails? Mao Zedong was born in 1893 in Hunan, South China. In the early 1920s, he became one of the founding members of the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP. By the early 1940s, he'd become undisputed leader of the CCP and he oversaw the party's victory in a huge and destructive civil war between 1945 and 1949. From 1949 to his death in 1976, with the exception of a couple of years when he stepped back from the front line of leadership, Mao was the supreme leader of the People's Republic of China, the PRC. And what is Maoism? It's first important to remember that Maoism doesn't mean only one thing. It stands for a range of ideas attributed to Mao over the past 80 years. Several of them are mutually contradictory, but I'm going to try and pull out some of the main threads here. Within the context of Chinese communism, Mao was notable for championing the use of political violence to achieve the revolution. A couple of his most famous catchphrases, power comes out of the barrel of a gun and revolution is not a dinner party, express this idea. And since the 1930s, Mao has been celebrated by insurgents across the world as the architect of a defiant, protracted guerrilla warfare. Maoism also has a strongly nationalist, non-Western, anti-colonial agenda. So Mao declared to radicals in developing countries that Russian-style communism should be adapted to local national conditions. So Mao argued that the Soviet Union could go wrong. And again, diverging from Stalin, he told revolutionaries to take their struggle out of the cities and deep into the countryside. Mao also preached the doctrine of voluntarism, that if only they dared to believe they could, the Chinese and any other people 
could transform their country. So Mao argued that revolutionary zeal, not weaponry, was the decisive factor here. Mao was also a profoundly autocratic man. So like Lenin and Stalin, Mao was determined to build a militarised, one-party state that worshipped its supreme leader. But he also, especially in his last decade, championed a kind of anarchic insubordination. He told the Chinese people that it is right to rebel, and during the Cultural Revolution between 1966 and 1976, Mao used his own cult to mobilise millions of Chinese people, especially heavily indoctrinated youth, to smash party rivals whom he deemed counter-revolutionary. Okay, can you talk to us about the actual events on the ground in China during Mao's lifetime? As to the question, what happened in China during Mao's regime? Now, the answer to that question varies dramatically according to who you ask it of. The Chinese Communist Party, the CCP today, argues forcefully that China under Mao stood up, that it changed from being a country bullied and invaded by the outside world and pulled apart by civil war to being a strong, sovereign, modernising nation that could control its borders and build its industry. But Mao's many critics, both inside and outside China, argue the opposite. They argue that Mao behaved like a totalitarian emperor. Um, he purged um, comrades who were out of favour. He promoted political terror and humiliation, and he pushed policies that caused the deaths of tens of millions of Chinese people. Thanks to improved access to archives and oral histories since Mao's death, historians have gained a much clearer understanding of key events in the Mao era. Uh, so, for example, Mao's obsession with accelerating China into full communism helped create a famine in the early 1960s in which around 30 million Chinese people died. And Mao's fixation on violent revolution and on building a kind of utopian puritanical equality and Mao's intolerance of comrades who didn't agree with him led him to launch in 1966 the Cultural Revolution. And this was a campaign that disrupted the lives of tens of millions of Chinese people and probably killed around one and a half million. However, um, because so many archives, and especially archives relating to the communist leadership, remain classified in China today, the picture we have of China under Mao remains partial. There is much more to discover. Which must make it a really exciting topic to, to be studying. Um, and uh, I imagine the answer to my next question will, will also be similar and it will depend who you ask, but um, what's happened to Maoism in China since Mao's death? On the face of it, Mao's successor, Deng Xiaoping, who took over between 1976 and 1978, Mao dying in 1976, so Deng Xiaoping dismantled Mao's uh, keynote policies such as collective farming and the huge public political purges of the Cultural Revolution. But Mao was never removed from the political core of the People's Republic of China. He's left a heavy mark on its politics and society. For example, in 
the politicisation of the judiciary, uh, the supremacy of the one-party state, the intolerance of dissident voices, and the political capital that he retains. So Mao's portrait still hangs in Tiananmen Square uh, in the centre of Beijing, and his embalmed body also lies in the centre of Tiananmen. And Mao's legacy became particularly conspicuous from 2012. That year, the Chinese Communist Party under the current president, uh, Xi Jinping, began for the first time since Mao's death in 1976 to publicly bring back aspects of Maoist political culture. Things like criticism, self-criticism sessions, uh, the personality cult, um, catchphrases such as the mass line and rectification, both of which are very, very closely connected with Mao's own political strategies. And as a further example, at the end of February 2018, Xi Jinping and the Central Committee abolished a constitutional restriction from 1982 that limited the president to only two consecutive terms. So like Mao, Xi Jinping could be ruler for life. Right. And um, your book is The Global History of Maoism. So can we turn now to um, looking at, at the influence of Maoism beyond China and how it played into global politics, first of all, during Mao's lifetime. Mao's global impact began in the late 1940s in Asia, in states on China's borders that were breaking with European and Japanese empires. Um, the impact can also be seen in the first hot conflicts of the Cold War that take place in Malaya, in Korea um, and in Vietnam. Um, and here what appealed uh, to uh, insurgents uh, was Mao's anti-imperialist uh, chutzpah, his veneration of guerrilla warfare and above all his obsession with airtight party building. Um, so all these ideas inspired and supported um, ambitious anti-colonial communist rebels. So to such individuals, Mao's revolution represented a blueprint for political success that seemed to be particularly suited to poor agrarian states that had suffered at the hands of colonialism. So to these sorts of states, it seemed more suited than, say, Soviet-style communism. And strong Maoist movements also took root in India, in Nepal and Peru. But it's worth remembering that Mao also won passionate admirers in the West, in the US and Western Europe. You've already mentioned that there were many communist movements or insurgencies that were inspired by Maoist thought. And can you give us some examples of those to, just to demonstrate how far and wide um, Maoist influence stretched? Mao's influence spread practically to every continent. So from the 1940s, it spread through the colonial and the decolonizing world. Uh, Mao's ideas strongly influenced the Malayan Communist Party, which fought the emergency against the British state in Malaya. There was a big um, impact for Maoist ideas on the North Vietnamese Communist State and also on the Cambodian Khmer Rouge, which came to power in 1975. States and insurgencies in Africa borrowed Mao's ideas. They also benefited from lavish Chinese aid programs. And the rhetoric of rebellion from the Cultural Revolution also inspired the counterculture movement and the protests of 1968 across Western Europe and the US. 
Left-wing Latin Americans acclaimed Mao's revolution as the path to follow in their continent, and one such individual, Abimel Guzman, began in the late 1970s the Shining Path War against the Peruvian state, which claimed some 70,000 lives through the 1980s. And in India and Nepal, Mao's ideas inspired parties and insurgencies that are still with us today. Um, and your book also looks at events in areas that we don't necessarily associate with Maoism or, or strong communist movements, I suppose. So it touches on Paris and London, for example. So how does, how does Maoism tie in in those examples? You're right, the 1960s witnessed something of a Mao craze amongst radicals in Western Europe and North American cities. Um, and this takes place for a variety of reasons. Uh, student protesters who were dissatisfied with their universities and their governments, they misidentified Mao's cultural revolution as a youth protest like their own. And they adopted the slogans of the cultural revolution, such as its right to rebel and bomb the headquarters in their own revolts and demonstrations. It's also worth remembering that there was an international political backdrop to the Western enthusiasm for Mao. So at this time there was widespread disgust at US intervention in Vietnam and in this context many Western radicals felt solidarity with Mao's China which at the time was America's number one international detractor. It's kind of followed the logic of my enemy's enemy is my friend. And particularly in the US, sympathy with Mao's China merged with outrage over the mistreatment of marginalised and persecuted ethnic groups, uh, especially Black, Latin and uh, Asian Americans. So the militant wing of the African American liberation movement um, was particularly impressed by Mao's denunciations of US foreign policy and expressions of solidarity with black rights. So groups such as the Black Panthers from the late 1960s onwards channeled Mao's ideas about party building and political violence to challenge the white American ruling establishment. Wow, you've, you've given us a really good idea of just how broad and widespread um, the influence of Maoism was, both during his lifetime and still today. Um, finally, can I ask you, why is now such an important time for a, a new study of Maoism? In general, I think that for far too long, Western analysts have underestimated the spread and resilience of Mao's ideas, not only in terms of their impact on China, but also on the world more generally. So if Maoism has been thought of at all, it's been seen, I think, as a Chinese story and as a story long past. So what I was trying to do in my book is to tell it as both a Chinese and a global story, um, to remember that it was a crucial motor of the Cold War, for example, of the Vietnam War, uh, of the Cambodian Khmer Rouge um, in the victory of ZANU in Zimbabwe. Um, and Mao's ideas have also inspired wars and insurgencies that are still with us today, so in India and Nepal um, and also in Peru. But I'd argue there's an urgent need right now to recenter Maoism in global history and politics 
precisely because we're seeing a return of Mao's rhetoric and practice uh, within China itself at a time when China is far more globally powerful than it was under Mao. Mao and his ideas remain central to the legitimacy of China's communist government, and that government is playing an increasingly important role in international politics. It's been pointed out that Xi Jinping is reasserting China's international ambitions really for the first time since the Mao era uh, in Southeast Asia, in Africa, and also in companies and campuses in the West. It's therefore more important than ever, I think, to understand the PRC's history of global interventions from Mao to now to grasp what kind of an international player China will become. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Professor Lovell is the course director on Birkbeck's MA Global History and teaches on BA History programmes. You can find more information about her research and teaching at Birkbeck on her staff profile page. That's all for this time. Goodbye.